Welcome to the Seven Rock Life Show, featuring stories that inspire with people that you will admire. Here's your host, Stephen Mazurko. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, here's a great podcast with Tank Sinatra. He's a social media influencer, 3 million followers, and just an amazing, amazing podcast. So enjoy it. It's funny, it's real, and his authenticity is, is everything. So looking forward to see you guys. We have a little less than eight days now, seven days to the Living to Inspire Festival, guys. It is going to be off the hook. The buzz has been so real. There's a few more tickets left, so make sure you go on to livingtoinspire.com, reserve your ticket. Tank is actually going to be uh, speaking there and uh, sharing his his life story. He's uh, so funny, his comedy as well, and this is going to be a truly uh, historic night. Uh, bring a friend, bring a family member. You know, we are our goal with Seven Rock Life Nation is to be able to create a offline community so people can collaborate, can have fun, can embrace the friendships, and we are craving that more than ever in today's world. That's why we set this up. That's why we've invested so much money. Uh, Seven Rock Life, um, you know, the clothing, the podcast, the book, uh, was able to fund this project. So we're very grateful for that. And uh, check it out, sevenrocklife.com, livingtoinspire.com. Enjoy this episode. Make sure you share this. You know, the reviews and uh, the sharing is so important. Be that hero for somebody else. There's content on this that we give for free to help you guys become the best version you're destined to be. It is working. There's so many testimonials of people applying the seven rocks of life in their in their world, in their life, in their family. And that's the goal is to help you become uh, a better version. We're so grateful for each and every one of you and excited to have you on this journey. So we will see you November 8th, November 9th. Get your ticket and uh, have an amazing, amazing week and enjoy this podcast, guys. Hey guys, welcome to Seven Rock Life Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mazurko, and I'm here on an amazing afternoon. Excited to have you guys, and we're going to have some fun. I'm actually excited to laugh. That's with what I think. <laughs> See, it's already starting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it pal for this. I've actually been looking forward to uh, to do a podcast with my man, and we're really just going to have a conversation. Uh, you know, Tank Sinatra here, he is awesome. He's uh, such a good dude. He's actually going to be speaking, uh, um, if you're listening to this, at the Livington Spire Festival. That's either coming out or already happened as you're listening to this. But a little background on Tank Sinatra. He's got a great life resume. So he's um, happily married, three kids, uh, or two and a half, he says, and a social influencer, a meme maker. He's a comedian, author of Happy is the New Rich, and he's coming out with a new book called Go to Bed Angry, which we're going to be talking about that, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, why would you go happy? Why not go angry, right? And then he's also got a great podcast called The Think Tank Podcast. Yeah. And he is also jacked. Yep. Uh, funny story, before we get into having a conversation, my friend the other day was following Mark Zuckerberg, and uh, he was just going through the, um, you know, through his profile, and his picture came up, and lo and behold, we see this big dude next to the left of- Massive. Massive dude. Yeah. Just jacked. I mean, it was like, where's Waldo, but where's Tank? <laughs> <laughs> Lily. And he just stands out out of, out of everybody, and I'm dying laughing, and it was Tank. And- uh, He's a physical specimen, so excited to have you here. They don't call me Tank for nothing, you know. It's a, it's a, an earned nickname that I gave to myself, which, as far as I know, it's the first time that's happened. Where did it come from? Um, it was like in an instant I realized that I needed a new name for Instagram. My screen name was my first and last name, George Resch, which is so boring, and it would never, you wouldn't get anywhere with that. What was your aim name? 
Do you remember your aim? G bombs five. Yeah, mine was Nighthawk. Or G bombs Nighthawk. Nighthawk two thirty five. <laughs> it's a little aggressive. Um, uh, Tank Sinatra came from the fact that I'm big. I have blue eyes, and I'm from New York. And it was like a little play on Frank Sinatra, obviously. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, it worked. It's working. That's amazing. Well, I, you, you are a tank. I never expected it to. I, I every time I hear about somebody. You know, not that anybody has ever done this, but there's a, a a myth or story around people trying to give themselves nicknames, and it was illustrated in a Seinfeld episode where George tries to get everyone to call him T-Bone, and they start calling him Coco, of the Coco the monkey. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought. That's what I think of. But I wasn't saying, "Hey, call me Tank." It was just like I had this page. The page grew. I started putting my face on it. People started calling me Tank in the street. Hey, are you Tank Sinatra? Yeah, I'm Tank Sinatra. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm a big fan or whatever. And then my friends started calling me Tank, and then my family started calling me Tank because it's more fun than George to call somebody Tank. Yeah, I mean, George and Tank, I mean, they're almost similar, but Tank's a little bit better. They're on total opposite <laughs> ends know. of the spectrum. <laughs> one is like super reserved and proper, and the other one is like... Tank Abbott from yeah. the UFC. Just, you know, it's, it's when you have like a, a common name, like I have Steve. I yeah. feel like parents that name their kids Steve or a simple name, they just got bored and tired and they're just like, let's just call it this. Or they're named you after somebody that they, they care about, which is, I think, pretty common. They, they Your dad had a yeah. friend named Steve that he loved or, you it know. It was actually Steve Reeves. Steve Reeves? He was a bodybuilder. The bodybuilder, strong you know man. Steve, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that because of the picture working out downstairs in the dungeon growing up and seeing Steve Reeves in the background. Yeah, because both of my kids' names have sentimental value. My son's name is George, um, but his middle name is Jesse. My wife's name is Jessica. People mm. call her Jesse. I went to college with a kid named GJ, which I thought was cool because his name was George and I always hated my name. I was like, GJ is cool, but my middle name was Bennett, so I couldn't call myself GB. That would be, That'd be weird. insane. Yeah. But my son's name, my other son's name is Bennett, and his middle name is Lyndon, and my wife's name is Lynn. So we took both of our middle names and made them first names, or That's first smart. and a middle name. Where did George come from? That's my dad's name and his yeah. dad's name, and That's who knows how many generations it goes back. Your nationality is? Irish. Irish, yeah. So Not Greek. Everyone thinks I'm Greek, even though I look nothing like a Greek you person You definitely don't look Greek. All. No. You look Italian and or Irish. My family does have an infatuation with Greek names, though. My niece's name is Athena, which is super Greek. And then Daphne. Athena the warrior? Yeah, whatever. Athena something. And then uh, and then Daphne is my other niece's name. My mom's name is Stavros. Um, that's a joke, obviously. Stavros is a... <laughs> that's, a that's a very Greek <laughs> Stavros. <laughs> My dog's name is Acropolis. I mean, it's just, it's all over the board with the Greeks. They have great names. What, um, so tell me a little bit like growing up, just your background, like let the the world know, um, kind of how it was growing up for you. Um, I grew up in Comac, Long Island and, uh, you know, pretty normal household. There was normal enough. I mean, there was certain things that happened during my childhood that, um, I think largely shaped the way that I operate in the world and the way that I see the world. There were negative things and, that kind of set the um, set the bar for what I came to expect from life. Inadvertently, I didn't mean to say, you know, I didn't mean to think that, but I do remember specifically thinking that, you remember after school specials? Mm-hmm. So I said to my sisters multiple times, I'm like, it's, this is like another after school special happening in the house. Like I don't, you know, to grow up around that was, you know, Whatever problems happen in anybody's household, they're yours, so they become a little bit more significant and a little bit more impactful um, 
I'm sure there were people growing up in, in homes that had much worse things going on, but it was just, I think it was just as bad as I could have handled it and no better than, um, than I needed to get by. Like my life growing up was, it was a little, I had a lot of anxiety as a kid. I had a lot of like, I didn't feel like I fit in. I was you said you got bullied too, right? I was made fun of for being fat. I was made fun of for being not mentally weak. Just I didn't see the value in fighting when I was a kid. I didn't understand why. Like I wasn't angry enough to fight. You know what I mean? I didn't want to fight somebody because they said something mean to me. Or I didn't even want to fight people because like I, I, I could give like I would give one punch. Like if you punch me, I would let you get away with that one. And then because I don't, I don't feel like I'm under attack at that point. Yeah. But typically, if a bully punches you and you don't do anything, they feel like they've won. Where later on, when the second punch came, like okay, now we're like now I have to fight because you're not going to stop unless I stop you. Mm. You know what I mean? Which is I see my son going through that today, and it's a little crazy to watch. Yeah, and you don't you don't realize it because you're not in that world anymore. But do you think a lot of times the things that happen, like bullying as a child, still to this day, it. it it puts a little dent in you, right? Yeah, but it's not a it's not a um, it's not a dent in the negative sense. I'd say it's more of a dimple, if you will, or or a scar that kind of. I don't think scars are negative. I don't have negative connotations. Why? With, why do you Why do you feel that way? Because they make you who you are. They give you character. They, you know, there's a, a famous tweet that I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to butcher it. I don't remember who said it, but basically they said, "I hope my I give my kids just enough anxiety to be funny." And um, I hope I give give my kids just enough anxiety to be funny, and to be motivated, and to follow through, and to you know I don't I don't associate negativity with negativity. I know that sounds stupid, but having a negative emotional reaction to something that you've done that you're not supposed to do is a positive thing, in mm. my opinion. Because I tell my son he'll get down on himself, he'll do something. And he'll go, oh, you, you know, he used to get, he used to have this thing where he'd be like, you guys hate me. You're going to throw me in the woods and poison ivy. And we were like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? He's like four years old. I'm like, we're not going to do that. I said, I want you to feel just bad enough that next time you go to do that, you think twice. Not even just bad enough that next time you go to do it, you don't do it because I don't expect you to just fix all of your behaviors. You're five years old. Yeah. Just, just, I want you to feel just bad enough that next time you go to do that thing that you're not supposed to do, you, you think twice about it. Because if you think twice enough, eventually you'll stop doing it. And that started to happen already, which is crazy because he's that's, six. That's great, though. It's like if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to throw you in poison ivy. Yeah, we've never said anything <laughs> even remotely close. I don't even know there was poison ivy back there. So you never said that, but he said that Of himself. course not. That's so you guys hate me. You're going to throw me in the poison ivy in the woods. Oh, man. What? Yeah. Where yeah. did you where, like? Where did that come from? It's but I was I was like that when I was a little kid. I remember I have this thing um, that I battle with called it's called harm OCD or pure OCD. Mm-hmm. They're also called intrusive thoughts, where you just get hung up on something that's like completely out of the realm of possibility and overwhelmingly negative and sad. You create the story. Yeah. And I remember being eight or nine years old and my parents went out, maybe let's say to the deli. Like they went together. It was I was home with my two sisters. I went downstairs to cry to think about my parents being killed in a car accident. Hmm. And I did that until they came back. And when they came back, I was like, oh, thank God you came back. They were like, what? we were gone for like 15 minutes. But in my mind, that was like an eternity. Because in my mind, they were dead. And I had convinced myself that they were dead. 
and I was having all of the emotional and physiological responses that you would associate with losing somebody, mm-hmm. but it was a fantasy. Interesting. And that was the beginning of How my, old were you? Maybe nine, eight, something like that, ten. So, you know you know what I love, and we've just gotten to know each other, uh, you know, over the past couple months, you know, through Jared, and, and uh, you know, he's a shout out to him. Shout he, out to Jared. Jared, my man. Um, I never he, know how many R's or T's are in Dude, his name. he has too many R's and T's. I always screw it up. Could be three or one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But what I love about you is you're so real and authentic. You know, like you don't put this avatar up. You're just like, no, this is, these are my demons. This is the things I go through. Yeah. And I think that authenticity is so key to building great bonds and relationships. And that's just kudos to you. Yeah. Since the time I met you, you're just, you're real, you know? So if you listen, Tank Sinatra is a real dude. I'm a real ass and, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> but I want to go in. You, I'm going to get you that E on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, what I want to go into that um, is... Because you have a really cool philosophy in some things, you know, go to bed angry, um, yeah. and uh, but like the demons that sometimes we battle, right? Because I think a lot of people in today's world, we live in a world that our inner roommates are just kind of like talking to each other, mm-hmm. and we don't like our roommates sometimes, and that roommate's you, right? Yeah. So maybe walk us through it, and I'll I'll Which... be open and really transparent of, of things in my life and how you kind of overcome that. Because the goal of this podcast and just Seven Rock Life Nation is just to encourage people, to inspire them, to help them become the best version they need to be yeah. right? through content and then also have a good time listening. So what do you, what have you learned, you know, recently over the past couple of years that has helped you tank become like, how do I manage my mind? Yeah. How do you manage your mind? It's, it's a full-time job. I'll tell you that it's not easy. It's not, um, I, I had, I have a, another philosophy that I go by and it's, I'd rather be, I'd rather force myself to be happy than naturally sad. Like some things are worth a little work. And reading, expression, honesty, talking to people, listening is huge. Listening's huge for me because I like to hear other people. You know, I I cannot, so let me back up. I I won't listen to somebody who's bullshitting me or not being fully forthcoming. Not that I need to know all of the details of your mind and, you know, your your darkest, deepest secrets. But let's be real with each other or let's part ways. That's how I kind of operate under all circumstances with new friends, old friends. It's just I don't have time for people who are trying to put up some kind of facade or avatar as you said like I'm not yep. I'm just not interested in that it's not real to me mm-hmm. and um, I have found that I think the world's problems would be solved if people just express themselves honestly about uh, the, the way that they feel and the things they're trying to accomplish and coming from a background of being in recovery you sit in these rooms for um, you know five times a week an hour a day for 17 years, you see people heal from being open and honest and it's like it makes it attractive where in the past you might see somebody who expressing themselves and see them as weak because it's like, man, you're supposed to keep that to yourself and it's like, you're not, but go for that. Like if you want to keep it to yourself, do that. But it's just very, it's a very lonely world when you are wrapped up in your room with your roommates, as you put it, because some of them are not nice and when you start delving into that and really digging into your own mind, you find out that most of your thoughts are absolute garbage and to be discarded and completely ignored for the most part. Yep. And that's what I've learned over the past 17 years is that my mind produces a lot of rubbish um, that I have no business turning into a real thing because it's not real. And me thinking that maybe it is real is just another thought. Like I was, a, there was a time where I guess we'll we'll front load this podcast. I was uh, 
the pinnacle of my of my harm OCD was, and I, I'm not one of those people who's just like um, try not to label things because I know that a lot of times these labels can get like oh you know it's called being a human bro like it is being human but there's it's a little different it's a little more specific than that because everybody has thoughts of you know you're sitting on a subway platform station and you're like I can push push this person right now mm-hmm. or I could jump in front of this train suicidal homicidal thoughts. But there's no attention, uh, intention attached to it. But if you think about that, right? Why do we feel that way? It's because our our external circumstances are affecting our internal circumstances of of, of who we are, like our, our kind of uh, our external bodies versus our internal bodies. So because we let external things hurt us, yeah. right, into our internal, that's why we want to end the pain. Well, you also it's just your, it. it's just your brain producing nonsense. You've seen too many movies. You've read too many newspapers. Yeah. The brain is you know a, a problem. Solving or a problem creating machine, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it. And, um, and you've been and sober a seventeen years now. Seventeen years, yeah. Walk us through that time of your life. I mean, what you know, uh, being around drugs, doing drugs, and then just now seventeen years, which is awesome. Yeah, you know that that gives so much hope to so many people out there that maybe are addicted to certain things, right? Yeah. Walk us through that time of life. Through which time? The seventeen years? Um, no, be, uh, when when you're kind of when I was what, active. Yeah. What what what, what got you? Yeah. What kind of took you? Mm. Was it stuff in your life going on or was it just, you know? So there's a saying that you hit bottom when you stop digging, right? And they say that everyone has to hit bottom in order to bounce back or recover or whatever you want to call it. But the bottoms, it's they, they, they call it like an elevator. Like you don't have to go all the way down to LL to, mm-hmm. to get help. You can get off it. You know, I got off at a pretty high floor relatively. I hadn't lost anything. I hadn't accumulated anything because I was so young, but... The way it looked like my life was going, it just wasn't going to get any better. My drinking and drug use was just getting worse every time I checked. It was a little more, a little bit, you know, I was a little worse for wear or or worse off. And I was just, it's a progressive illness. And uh, I just came to terms with the fact that that was maybe my first honest thought I ever had in my entire life. Like, this is not going to get better and I need to do something about it now. Because I had thought maybe... I can pull this off and drink for another like 20, 30 years and then I'll stop. I'll get all of the, I'll get all the drinking that I want out of the way. Yeah. Never thinking that my life would be not worth living uh, for those 20 or 30 years, living in absolute hell. But I said, I, I was faced with a decision. I said, I can either drink for another 30 years and then try and break that habit or I can stop drinking now, but then I have to look at the rest of my life not drinking, which seemed insurmountable. And when I got into... Recovery, The one of the main things they tell you when you first get in is it's one day at a time. Everything is one day at a time, one moment at a time. And then the more I read about, uh, you know, um, Eckhart Tolle, the power of now, meditation, the present moment, any any religious teaching, whether you believe or subscribe to all the tenets or not, all of them focus on the, the one thing, which is the moment is he's here now. Eternal, yeah. eternal life is not infinite life it's eternal meaning there's no center and there's no edge it's just all always everywhere all the time so if you can get into the now now you can live a pretty solid life and enjoy yourself because every time i've checked in my entire life pretty much for the most part i'd say 99.999 infinite nines percent of my life there's been no impending real threat there's been no impending physical threat. I'm not in any danger. It's just all mental. I make a lot of it up. Yep. So I was taught to uh, remove 
the thing that was keeping me from myself, get to know who I am. I'm going to find some stuff I don't like. I'm going to find some stuff I do like. We'll work on the stuff I don't like. We'll focus on the stuff that I do like. And that's how you're going to live your life. You're going to live your life focusing on your strengths and minimizing your weaknesses. And you're going to, you're going to have a nice life that way. That's awesome. Yeah. What was your turning point? Where Was there like a turning point that you remember? There was one night in particular that it just, it, the night that I, the last time I drank was not an eventful night. It was just another one of the same. You know, the, uh, like I, I was saying before, the bottoms are not, uh, they're usually not for real alcoholics or real drug addicts. They're not massive events. They're not car accidents or arrests or divorces or, you know, CPS knocking on your door. It's like one Tuesday at two o'clock, you're like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it anymore. It's yeah. a slow grinding away of your soul and your being. You're running out of gas. You're just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not a car accident. It's running out of gas. Because running out of gas is a little bit like, I can make it. I can yeah, make yeah. it. And then it's like, mm, now I'm stuck. Yeah, you get humbled. You get yeah. down on your knees and you're just like, God, just like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. And that's what I did. I, I at, It was about 10.30 a.m. On a, on a Tuesday, October 3rd, 2002. And uh, I think it was a Tuesday. I don't remember. Uh, it doesn't matter um, what day of the week it was, but it was October 3rd. And I got, I hit my knees and I begged a God that I had no relationship with and didn't understand at all to remove this obsession to, to use drugs. And the obsession was lifted. And wow. since then, thoughts have come back. But I always say, especially with suicidal or homicidal thoughts, there's a lot, there's a big difference between thinking of and thinking about. Thinking of, you can think of anything. Thinking about, you presume there's some intention there. Like I've, I haven't thought about drinking since that day. I've thought of it. It popped into my mind when I see a commercial or I see other people drinking. I'm like, I wonder if I could. Mm, no, it's so immediate and so natural now that um, you master your mind. Like anything, you got to do the move enough times until it becomes second nature. It becomes part of who you are. Do you feel like you've mastered your mind? To, to, to a good amount? Um, I would say it depends on what you're comparing it to. Compared to, you know, compared to somebody who I, who I respect, that I can't even think of it. Not that I don't respect people, but I'm just saying like, if I were to look at my myself from the outside, I would say, yes, this guy has tremendous discipline and has mastered his mind. From the inside looking out, it's a lot harder to say that because I know where I fall short. But just some, just because something happens in my mind doesn't mean that it's a real thing. Yeah, this isn't Minority Report, <laughs> which I'm going to talk about in Living to Inspire. Are you really? Thank uh, God it's not Minority Report. I would be in jail. Yeah, for life. They'd be under the jail, alone, <laughs> no friends, no nothing. And I'm not unique in that. I don't think I'm unique in the sense that I have, you know, twisted, sick, violent thoughts. Because I also have unbelievably lovely and faith-filled and beautiful thoughts, but. The, the thing that you focus on is what becomes more apparent. And I try and focus on the stuff that I want to happen rather than the stuff I don't want to happen. And that's a, that's a huge change. Yeah. Because I've heard somebody say that uh, a friend of mine from California, Linda, says worrying is like praying for something bad to happen. That actually is really good. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I posted just uh, yesterday is how, like, we never question the person that's flying the, the plane. Mm-hmm. We never question the person that's driving a car. But then we question, you know, what God or the universe or creator is going to do for you in your life. Yeah. 
And it when I saw that yesterday, it was so perfect because I'm just like, you know, you have all this stuff going on. Why do you, you don't question those things, you know, yeah. but you question that. And sometimes universe just has to take its toll. But that's amazing. Like, and it's interesting thinking about is you run out of gas and you just like hit rock bottom. You're just like, dude, I, I, I gotta, I gotta change what I'm doing. Yeah. With, with that, whatever you're doing, it could be, you're like, I'm, I'm sick of this job and I want to go into entrepreneurship or I have this idea and I'm just like, I haven't done anything and years have gone by and boom, it clicks. You yeah. Know? Somebody last night I was doing a mastermind and he said, whatever was said last night shifted them and we'll see how long it lasts, but it could be one night, one thing, but it builds up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bunch of little shifts of, you know, minute degrees. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, if you were to learn something new every single day, most people don't learn anything new after a certain age ever for the rest of their life. They're just not Isn't that crazy. They're just not interested in. And that's fine. Listen, if that's that makes that leaves more room for me to progress and to stand out because, you know, I'm not trying to outdo anybody, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that. Um, so funny what I was just about to say. <laughs> say it. I take a lot of pride in how humble I am. That's funny, right? <laughs> um, not humble, but open, honest. Uh, I'm sorry, open mindedness and willingness to learn new things is, and humility for me is. There's a bunch of different, you know, um, takes on this. The one that I like the most is just it's an honest appraisal of who you are. It's not. I used to think humility was just looking at the ground, kicking rocks. That's not humility. That's low self-esteem. You don't have low self-worth. That's not humility. It's actually, you think you're more important than you are, but just in a bad way, whereas somebody who thinks they're more important than they are in a good way or attractive way, we call an egomaniac where the other person is like kind of ho-hum and sad. Neither of those are humility. Humility is just knowing who you are and doing the best you can with that. And also allowing the people around you to be who they are. Yep. And not try and, you know, not try and... Um, Outdo them all the time. Or, yeah. yeah. Or underdo them. Or whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, it's just like, we're all the same. We're all on this planet. We all deserve to be happy. We all deserve respect and um, and second and third and fourth and fifth chances. That's how I feel. I mean, 100%. Some, some people don't feel like that. I've... I've been given multiple chances, and if I wasn't given that fifth chance in this certain situation, my life would be a lot different in a bad way. Yeah, you you wouldn't be standing next to Mark Zuckerberg in a picture. No, you know, no way. And having you have four million, you know, three million, you know, plus followers, and I made Mark Zuckerberg look small, dude. You did small as Zuck. Yeah, how was that? How was uh, being around that and some of those influencers? You know, like who are some people that you've been able to meet and just oh, connected man. with? Instagram has changed my life. How? Um, it's just opened up a whole world of people to me. And it's actually, it's exposed me to some people who I thought I would be excited to meet and be a fan of. And, you know, I've been a fan of them for a long time. And there's certain people that I meet where I'm like, I like you in the movies, but that's, you know, we're not, we're not friends. We're not going to be friends. And that's fine. Cause that's like, you know, meeting a celebrity that you've looked up to your entire life. Like I met, I met David Spade through Instagram. And that was one of those things where it was like, this guy is exactly how I thought he would be. And he's awesome. And they, like, I would see it when, whenever I go out to California, I try and see him when he's in New York, we try and see each other. It doesn't happen a lot, but um, I'm trying to think of somebody that I've met from Instagram that I didn't like. <laughs> we'll make sure we'll send his podcast at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's more like I'm trying to think like running into people like meeting Mark Zuckerberg was I don't know man that was I was at Instagram Next and which is which was their first ever conference for like publishers or influencers whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it they call the publishers um just in case you don't know what that means, it's just people who put shit out on Instagram. It's not like <laughs> we not, publish stuff. It's not a big on deal. Instagram, yeah. um, you push post, and uh, and he happened to be in town, coming from DC, I guess, stopping by, and it was. Uh, I've met a lot of famous people, people that I've known and looked up to for a long time, but him, I don't know. It was just different, man. It was him. He walked in the room. I was like, holy shit. This is like it was like Barack Obama walking in the room. Yeah, you know what I mean, like that level of massive. But it's just. But at the end of the day, you also realize it's just he's just a dude. Yeah, he just did something with thoughts that were created that changed the world. Yes, I mean yeah. think about that. Take out Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, out of today's world, people would have met. You know, there's benefits and and downs to it, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But like it, it's put a huge mark. You know, Steve Jobs, the way we airdrop things, the way we do things, and Bill Gates, it's 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 phenomenal how one person thought, created with a team, boom. And it's it's funny because I we were talking before about feeling uh, like guilty about I don't know being successful or yeah. achieving your dreams or whatever. One thing that I did feel guilt about was creating Tank's Good News, which which is funny because it's such a good thing, it's such a positive thing. But I've had the thought and the idea for so long, and everyone that writes me, not everyone says this but everyone that writes me goes I've always wanted this I've always thought this would be a good idea and it's like I don't know you know I was like well I did it you know like I don't know what to tell you I, I, they weren't call, They weren't saying like you stole this idea from me they were just like this is great we're supporting you we love it and for some reason I took that as like I don't deserve this but at the end of the day there was an idea there was an, uh, an action and there was an execution and then there was consistency and that's what made it what it is yep same thing with Mark Zuckerberg. Like he stole the idea from those two guys. He just did it a thousand times did better. It better. Ideas, as you know, if if my ideas about jumping in front of a subway are, are are should be discarded, that means that ideas aren't that valuable. I don't value ideas very highly. I value. I don't even. I, I don't even value action that highly. I value consistency because I don't want to be judged. On my on my actions because I don't judge people based on their actions. I judge people on their character. And if you are somebody who repeatedly does these insane actions that I don't want to be around, I'm not going to be around you. But like, for instance, I got into one big big fight when I was in my senior year of high school. It was outside of Chef's uh, Pizzeria in, in Northport. It was like where Comac and Northport used to come together for yeah. lunch. Wasn't at Little Vincent's? No, that's in Huntington. This was Chef's, which was, was like a, fight, which yeah. a lunch spot. Um, and there was a deli right next door, and every time I talked to this guy, or I don't talk to him that much, but I would see him, you know, here and there throughout the years. I worked in Huntington; he was from Northport. Every time I'd see him, he'd be like, "Remember, you know, remember there every remember time that fight for for a few times." Yeah, and I was like, "Man, this guy! Like, if you ask this guy about me, he go he was gonna say this guy's a maniac. He got into a huge fight, but like that was an action that I did. I took." I did do that thing, but I don't want that to be the standard that I'm judged for the rest of my life. There are very few things that you can do that kind of define who you are. Like if you're, you know, a murderer or a rapist or a child molester, like, yes, those things are like, that's who you are now, unfortunately. But other than that, if you're just kind of a dick every once in a while, or if I'm a dick every once in a while, I want to be given the opportunity to grow. 
and I'm so hell-bent on that. I've actually handled situations with my wife better over time and then worse and then better and then better and then worse, like two steps forward, one step back. And when she kind of, there's, there's times where we're in the middle of a thing and she'll be like, oh no, you were, you know, you were doing this thing. I know that that's what you're doing. And I'll explain to her like, that's not what I was doing. I'm trying to grow. You got to let me grow and act differently and do better so that we can grow as a couple. Because if you keep holding me to standards, you know, that were established in our first year or two of marriage, we're never going to be able to grow. So like, don't hold me to that anymore. And I won't hold you to old ideas or old standards. I just want to grow. I want everyone to have the freedom to grow, whether or not they do, as you know, is a, a totally different ball game. Yeah, and I think I, I've spoken about this in my book is we have Batman and Joker in us. And sometimes Joker is uh, overtaking Batman. And we all want to be good. We all want to look in the mirror and say, like, I'm proud of who I'm becoming and what I'm becoming. But I think sometimes we just, like, it's this mental battle, right? Yeah. And But what are you doing to upgrade your software? I was talking to a group the other day and what people you're around, what books you're reading, what content. Like, I'm very careful with the content that I, I look at. Yeah. Because even with war movies, I know when I watch war movies, I'm, like, violent uh, in, like, the next couple of days. Not physically violent where I'm, like, throwing grenades everywhere, but um, I stopped doing that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But you just, like, you, this programming and what you see, even as a childhood, like, if you're your mom or dad, you know, fought and stuff, you yeah. remember that, right? It's, it's just stuck there. So you have to be careful with what you're putting into your program, what you're putting onto your, you know, onto your computer of life. And yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I just try and pollute my brain with positivity. Yeah. Even if it doesn't take. What what got you started in Tank, uh, you know, Tank's good news. I'm actually going to look at some of your stuff right now because um, I want to see some memes because we're going to go into memes now in a little oh, bit. God. But okay. yeah, we have to. Yeah. Short you get ready. Yeah, get ready for, for that. <laughs> but talk about how you uh, started with Tank's, like what made you want to do a good news? Did you feel like there was a gap in the world? There's always been a gap, yeah. There's always been a, a, a gap. I remember being a little kid and saying to my dad um, something along the lines of like, is this all that happened today? Like we watched the news as a little kid and they, they would talk about murders and robberies and kidnappings and deaths and car accidents and fires. And if you watch, if you just watch the news, if you were an alien and you came to Earth and you watched the news, you'd get the place, you'd get the feeling that this place is like what's pretty wrong, fucked what, up. Yeah, yeah like, what's wrong with this world? <laughs> all this, this is what happened today. All this bad stuff happened today. And it's like, I've always believed that, you know, like you said, with the internal condition versus the external condition, your world definitely largely becomes what you look for. And if you look for negativity, you will definitely find it. But... If you look for positivity and hope and humor and healing, you'll find that too. It's all out there. It's just a matter of, you know, I have this uh, this saying, not saying, but like this idea that like uh, if you if you go onto Google and you search why is steak bad for you, you're going to get a bunch of reasons, a bunch of websites listing the reasons why steak is bad for you. If you go on Google and search why is steak good for you, you're going to get a bunch of feedback and websites that are, you know, that are reasons why steak is good for you. It really is what you look for yeah, really is what you search for is what you'll find. Yeah, and you feel better. You not just, in a wishy-washy way, not like in a the secret way where if you just demand love and positivity from the universe, that's what's going to happen. But there's an opportunity for love and, and peace in every single opportunity, even the most extreme stuff like divorce or death or loss of somebody you love. Like there's something there. Yeah, I've lost a ton of people and I've never let it be for naught. I've never let somebody die for no reason. I've always gotten something positive out of it. Yeah, and you have to be able to extract, even through the crushing times, the positive from it. 
blood from a stone, but it's possible. Yeah, and we I've I've said a bunch of times um, when you crush rock, it turns into soil, Mm -hmm. and that's what soil is. It's just crushed rock. Yeah, and then it can it can fertilize, and then it can grow things, right? And and that's something that's cool. But that's cool that you did that because I think that's definitely a gap in the world. I mean, it's I, I say sometimes like the news is like big adults gossiping. Yeah, and they get paid. To, to gossip and, and it's just and getting fight. worse. It's getting worse and worse. Oh my gosh! But I don't. I don't even blame the news. It's our fault. Why? Um, because there was somebody. I don't remember where I heard this. This is another thing that I'm definitely going to preface the whole living to inspire talk with. Like I don't know where I hear a lot of this stuff. I just know that we're really excited to have you by the way. So am it's, I. Yeah, it's going to be epic. Yeah. I, I was working on the uh, the talk the other day, and I'm like, I think this is going to be good. Yeah. I hope it's good. I don't know. It's going to be it good will for be. me. It's going to be good for it, me. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you're sitting in traffic complaining about traffic, realize that you're not in traffic. You are traffic. Like, hmm. you are part of the so-called problem that you're in right now. And, um, you know, it's not the Kardashians' fault that they're famous. It's not the news' fault that they, they pump out negativity. Like, that's what you click on, and that's what you tune into every night. So if you stop clicking and sharing and retweeting and tuning in and their advertiser dollars start to drop, they'll have to change course and they'll have to find a new way to deliver you the news. So it's not even their fault. It's your fault for allowing it into your software, like you say. Yeah, I'm looking at this one right now. I actually comment on this. <laughs> this relates to what we're talking about on your social media. I love logging onto Facebook and watching a plumber and it's, it's oh, God. in a state of mom argue about the best way to reduce the federal deficit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Zuck had in mind, I'm sure, when he started Facebook. Uh, I want to give people a platform with no 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 knowledge of the uh, the topic to argue about. Some people got pissed about that one too because they were like, "Oh, a plumber can't know about you know the federal deficit." Like, no, bro, the plumber cannot know about the you know like like the, and they make it seem like I'm the bad guy. And I understand it's funny because on that you know watching a, a, a stay at home mom and a plumber argue about the best way to reduce the federal deficit you can tell who is a stay-at-home mom and who is a plumber on yeah. those in those comments it's true because it's like people get very upset when you joke about things that affect them directly where i like the jokes the most about things that affect me directly i i get the kick out of those things the most bald jokes fat jokes white jokes alcoholic jokes drug addict jokes codependency jokes like those are the mm-hmm. things that make me laugh the most so when people get bent out of shape about a joke that hits their hits them in the nerve i'm like this should be the best part for you you should like this should be the funniest yeah, post it. you've ever seen yeah this is another good one we're gonna do two more so this is the next one ready when the waiter is explaining the entire menu but you just want a cheeseburger with fries <laughs> so true oh yeah and what this is one. the picture yeah yeah with the guy from the scroll or he's yeah. reading I had just gone out to dinner with my wife, uh, which and every time I go out to dinner, I always know what I'm going to get. I look at the menu before I go, and he's like, "Would you like to hear the specials?" And I don't have it the heart to say no, so I just say, "Yeah, of course, I would love to waste your time and mine." It's so true though when you're at the restaurant, you're just like, "You want to hear the specials?" No, you sure? You don't want to hear? I'm like, no. Well, because you memorized it, so you have to explain it. Yeah, I'm not interested. I, I'm. I want the thing you make every day that you know how to make. Guys with hair like this have a hundred percent chance of playing a cop on TV. <laughs> They're, it's a bald head, all bald, and those are all, by the way, cops on TV and people that uh, that people say that I look like. 
That's amazing. Michael Chiklis, Hank from Breaking Bad, and uh, Herc from The Wire. Uh, who's been some of your biggest um, uh, comedians that you've... Uh... That I like? Yeah. Mm. The, my favorite, favorite, favorite comedian of all time is Brian Regan. Brian Regan, really? Yeah. Why do you like him? Uh, he's just so funny, man. He's endlessly goofy, but not in a, an obnoxious way, not in like a carrot top way. He's just kind of like, he's one of those people. So there are, are people like, um, man, I hope this, what, what do you got there? I can't read this one, but it's funny. What is it? Here. That one's funny. Oh yeah. Richard photographs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one's uh, really funny. <laughs> uh, check out his, his, uh, social media. It's funny. Um, what was I just going to say? So there, there are certain comedians out there who are really funny as people and they would be a great time at a party and they're, they've always been the funny friend and the funny guy at work but their material is not like up to snuff it's not bad it's just not like revolutionary right mm-hmm. and then you have people who have really good material but their delivery is kind of dry and like everyone has their audience that finds them like the, the great writers like Stephen Wright um, one of the most prolific comedic writers of all time. I can't listen to because he talks like this, and this is the way that he delivers his material. Yeah, that is just not exciting to me. I can't listen to it. I can't. I don't have the the brain that likes that kind of comedy. So Brian Regan, even if he wasn't saying funny stuff, he would still be funny. But he is saying funny stuff, so it's like a, he hits you from both angles. His delivery is unreal. His, his timing and everything about him is just funny, but his material is like... Brian Regan, Brian Regan Live is... It has what I think is probably the best joke. I've uh, The number one joke of all time on there. Which was what? Oh, my God. Um, for, forgive me, com- comedy fans, because comedy fans hate when other people do this, but I'm going to do it. Ah, maybe I shouldn't do it. Um... I don't want to butcher it. it. Basically, he has this long, long setup where he's in school. He has this whole, he does like 15 minutes on being a kid in school and how, you know, um, <laughs> spelling bee day. All right, go up and embarrass yourself in front of your friends. Show everyone how dumb you are, right? <laughs> Which is really what it is. Third grade, you're like, I don't know how to spell Chris yeah. moment why, why are we doing this? So he there's the, the smart kid in class. And the teacher goes, you know, what is the plural for ox? Oxen. I saw a farmer uses his oxen. And then she goes, Brian. And Brian goes, what? What is the plural for box? Boxen. I bought two boxen of donuts. She goes, Steve, what is the plural for goose? Geese. I saw a flock of geese. Brian, what? What is the plural for moose? So... At this point, 99.9% of people think he's going to say meese, but then he says moosin, and it's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But then even later on in the joke, <laughs> moosin, I saw a flock of moosin, the meese want the food, so he gives you meese later, <laughs> but he's just like, the he's the epitome of, I like people who are brilliant at being stupid, like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen with Borat and Ali G. Oh my he's gosh. He's brilliant at being dumb. He's the smartest dumb person you've ever seen in your entire life. He's actually life. really smart. Yes, but, he's, he, but he uses his intelligence to portray himself as dumb. Therefore, he doesn't come off as dumb. He comes off as smart to people who are like in on the joke. Yeah. Brian Regan is like, and he's been doing it forever. He's been doing it for like 40, 30, 40 years. 
He just he's nonstop and he doesn't stop. He's so prolific. He has like six hours of material out, which is very rare. Usually people, especially when he was coming up, they would get their hour together and they would just run that hour into the ground. Mm-hmm. Now with the you know the advent of Netflix and specials and all that, you have people who are Bill Burr puts out a special a year, yeah. which is insane. It's just the work ethic that it takes to get an hour of material together is a lot. When you look at comedy, right? Like, for example, there's always a history of comedy, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you know too much of, of uh, the history of it or just what it is. Like rap, for example, I found this out. Rap stands for rhythm and poetry. That's what rap is. So mm-hmm. it's rhythm and poetry put together. And then whatever comes after that, it is what it is, right? So what is what is comedy? Is it energy? Is it... Is it is it speaking? Is it um, obviously it's you know it's making people laugh? But what is what is comedy to you? So I I looked this up a long time ago because I'm I'm also curious about history of things and, and origin stories and how did this come to be? And uh, anthropologists I think are the people who study this. They they seem to think that laughter developed um, as a function of warning that. It was a relief of tension. So the example they give is if you're out hunting with your your tribe and somebody comes around a corner, like let's say there's one person and then there's nine people behind them and the leader comes around the corner and freezes because they see a a lion or a a bear or whatever. They freeze and then all nine people behind them freeze and the tension is obviously, this is like set up time for a joke. And then if the leader saw that the bear had its foot stuck in between two rocks or the lion was, you know, had a broken leg and couldn't get after them, they would laugh to signify that this thing that we thought was a threat is not a threat. Mm-hmm. So that's where they think it came from. And if you look at the way comedy works, a good comedian will push you right to the edge of tension and then give you the gift, the punchline, the delivery or the relief or whatever. So I think comedy is just, and that's why I can't stand that comedians are being held to these impossibly impure and, um, you know, these political standards. Like, comedians are comedians. You cannot hold a comedian to the same standard you hold. Actually, politicians seem to get more of a pass to say whatever they want than comedians, which is insane. It's actually really true, yeah. It's crazy the fact that these people who we've elected to lead us and run our government can say whatever they want, but the comedians, I don't know, I guess because people, comedy is not, and I have no problem with this term. I think I think safe spaces are good for people. I think you should be able to operate in the world and go throughout the world and feel safe and not feel like you're under attack all the time, but comedy is like the ultimate safe space because it's like an alternate universe where the rules are different. And I have, you know, I, I feel like, if I'm making fun of something, it means that I've put a lot of thought into it and I appreciate it and this is what I came up with. Not that I hate it. I don't hate black people. I don't hate Jewish people or women or gay people or trans people. I just think about people a lot and jokes happen to come up. So I like to make jokes about people because that's yeah. the funniest thing you can do is make fun of somebody about something that is, like if I, I'm trying to think of how to, like if, if my alcoholism is the bear, the fact that it's, you know, foot is stuck in the rock is my recovery. And I'm like able to laugh about it. If I yeah, was... spoke at it, yeah. Exactly, because I'm comfortable with it. But I've also made peace with it. 
mm-hmm. there's something about you that that bothers you, that's when you take offense to a joke because that's when they hit a nerve because you haven't made peace with yeah. this aspect of you. That it's you not think an is, expired story yet. Yeah, and it's like I can I can joke around being you know in a depressed state, and I said I, I cried and I could fill up a, a, a tank, you know, and but it but when you're in that moment, it's just like no, like you don't have permission to. Yeah. Right, but I think as a comedian, you kind of have these. I hate, I guess, to say it this way: unlimited lives in a way. Yeah, where like you can do things and like, all right, I have another life because I'm a comedian. You're like protected, but then you get out in the world, you're very offensive people. Well, there's also like like Dice, like uh, Andrew Dice. Like, yeah, he, I saw him one time. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa! Like he, <laughs> like, like people walk out. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a, he's aggressive, but there's you you also have this uh, this this culture of wanting to see people suffer infinitely for the sins that have been committed against you that um, they didn't commit. Like Louis C.K. Louis C.K., I'm not condoning what he did, but the fact that you are a a woman and you were raped when you were 18 does not give you the right to crucify this man. It just doesn't. You have this experience in your life that is a, a black mark on your life. It always will be. What he did... To somebody else, like people, like they have this punishment, like uh, this vicarious punishment that they want to just put on everybody all the time. And I don't think people should not be held responsible for their actions. But I also think that like life is long and this people, Louis C.K. is going on tour now. It's been two years since that came out. It's Mm -hmm. been two years since it came out. It's been 20 years since it happened because it was a very, very, very old story. And there's people who are out there like protesting his existence. And it's like, even that, my, my point in saying that is that what he did was not in the realm of comedy. And that's why he's being held to different standards. It's not like he made a joke about. So if he made a joke about it, that's a lot different. That's why I say it's like an alternate universe. It's a different set of rules because joking about it and doing it are two very different things. He did a real life transgression that hurt people, Yeah, you know? But no, I, and I think it's it's being able to. Sometimes we look at what what kind of gets us famous, or what gets us on tour, or mm-hmm. what what attracts people, right? And some of the energies that we kind of create and do are interesting. Yeah. Uh, with humans are really interesting creatures. We're complex. Yeah. And we'll never have each other figured out. If I figure myself out before I die, I will be very surprised. Yeah. So I'm not going to spend trying to I'm not going to spend time trying to figure out another individual, let alone a whole other group of people. Yeah. There's no way. What are things you think you're that the world has to figure out more if you had to pick out like three things? Um I would say that it's important to try and figure out how to make peace with who you are, be honest with yourself. I would say it's important to learn how to be kind to other people no matter what, no matter how they treat you because Somebody treating you badly doesn't give you an excuse to treat them badly because ultimately they have to deal with their actions and you have to deal with yours and nobody escapes consequences, especially guilt or mental ones. Um, and they need to learn how to lighten up and take them, not take themselves or the world so seriously. Nothing yeah. is that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we get so cut up and we're not like present in the moment. We're so far ahead, which is great. You want to have future goals. Mm-hmm. But being present, I had a, a gentleman, uh, ASAP, that was on and you know, did a great podcast. And I think um, he said something that was really profound. And being, you know, being a dad for three is uh, it's presence is more important than presence. Yeah. 
you know, and, and being present in where you're at, being, you know, embracing the good times or the bad. Mm-hmm. We sometimes don't do that. Yeah. And I think that's huge where if you get caught up in this kind of so far ahead, you're just, you're missing everything that's happening right in front of you. You're missing the seasons turning. Of course. Yeah. You went from summer to winter and you missed the fall and all the, the foliage and, and all that coming you know about. And you're just like, wow, I missed it. Well, it's very easy to get caught up in the past and the future because um, they feel real. Yeah. They do feel real. When you have something pending that you're waiting for, whether it's good or bad, it feels real. It can be used, um, you know, there's a, a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Have you ever read yeah. that? Victor Frankl? Yeah, Victor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Where he... Uh, Crazy of just being where he was in and he had this, you know, this kind of mental prison and just how to get out of it. Well, he, the the one thing that stuck with me the most in that book is that man's, and when I say man, I mean mankind's, but man's will to live is unbelievably um, relevant when it comes to staying alive, where these people in the concentration camps could die at any moment from exhaustion, sickness, despair. Like people were literally just dropping dead. The one thing they had to hold on to was their cigarettes. So he says that looking forward to smoking a cigarette was better than actually smoking the cigarette. So when he saw people start to smoke their cigarettes, he knew that they would be dead within a couple of days. Like they had given up on being alive. Mm. So when you use that, he calls it logotherapy. He went on to use that with treatment of his patients when he got out of the concentration camps, like always have something to look forward to. Yep. But that can get out of hand too, because that can take you out of you know the present moment just as much as worrying about something that's going to happen. And the same thing with you know the past, the 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 guilt is guilt is a useless guilt and shame both are are useless emotions but if you've had enough trauma in your life you'll you know they say guilt is over something you've done shame is over who you are or who you think you are and like I like I told my son like I want you to feel just bad enough so that you think twice before you do this next time but don't sit in it and don't manufacture it and don't yeah. take a perfectly good moment and say, I'm not worthy of feeling good right now. I'm going to think back to something bad that I did so I can feel bad because that's what I deserve. Because mm. you have this shame and this self-loathing streak. Just That's so good. Let it be. Just enjoy your enjoy your moment. And if you enjoy your moment, you'll enjoy your life. Yeah. One should follow. You got, you got great stuff, man. Um, I'm excited. I know you have the book uh, coming out, Go to Bed Angry. <laughs> yeah. Real quick snippet. I mean, you're going to hear a lot from, you know, from Tank at the Living to Inspire Festival yeah. uh, coming out. And uh, But Go to Bed Angry. How'd that um, That's more of like a, like, just shut up. <laughs> you know? Like that, if the book was, it ha- if they said you have two words to get the point across in this book. Shut up. Shut up would be the, the, the intro and the and the outro. Just be everything. Because learning to keep my mouth shut and not, my mind is a, is a problem creating or a problem solving machine. When it was more of a problem creating machine, I thought these problems that I was creating in my mind were real. So I would express them to my wife. And it would turn out that they were not real. I was making something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And once I learned to stop expressing these crazy thoughts that I had, our relationship got better and my life got better. And it's just a tale of me going, you know, in the beginning of the book, I talk about having my heart broken publicly a couple of times or being publicly humiliated, not heartbroken, but um, there was this one girl who kind of set me up for a failure in front of the whole class. She spread a rumor that she liked me. And then when... My friend asked her out. She'd be fucking. She started laughing, calling me fat, which was 
horrible. Mm. I still remember that. Yeah, that's it was a nightmare. <laughs> that's terrible. It, happened, it actually happened a couple more times with different That happened girls. a couple weeks ago, you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was like, you think this marriage is real, you fat fucking idiot? Um, <laughs> but there was also like in, in sobriety, because when, when I wasn't numbing myself anymore, I could really feel everything. And everything got real painful all of a sudden. Got real joyful too, but it got real painful. And there was... Um, I had this little method that I would use where <laughs> I would um, book if I if there was somebody that I really liked and we were hanging out and things were going well, I would ask them if they wanted to go on vacation, quick getaway. But I would book it for like six months from now. So in my mind, they had to stay with me for at least six months to get to go to the Caribbean. <laughs> and right. it's, it's like do you, you know I, you hate me right now, but do you hate me more than you love Saint Martin because <laughs> we're not going to go if we break up. It was a little like manipulative tool that I used. Yeah. How I went from that to being in a healthy, committed, happy marriage, an adult, what I consider to be a real actual adult relationship, not just an agreement based on, I think a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, a lot of times I was in what I thought were relationships and they were just agreements based on lust and fear. They were not relationships. I did not relate to this person at all. They did not relate to me, but we were attracted to each other and we were scared to be alone. I So I call them acquaintanceships versus relationships. Yeah. Some people in life are in acquaintanceships. They're not in relationships. Because yeah. we're put together because it's just, we're physically attracted. We were or, near each other geographically. Yeah, yeah. And that's an acquaintanceship. Yeah. And you have to be really careful of that, of yeah. what you're in. So I talk about how to just, you know, how to, how I transformed or what happened and how I went from, because another thing that you, uh, you were saying before, I forgot what context it was in, but I feel like if you're going to go through something, one of the worst things that can happen in somebody's life, I feel like is going from point A to point B and forgetting how they did it. And there's, there's a lot of tragedy associated that associated with that one they're not able to share with anybody the roadmap that got them from point A to point B. True. But two, or B, I don't remember what I said, A or one, but two B, um, they'll judge people who are at point A because they have already forgotten what it's like to be at point A. So they assume that they've been at point B their whole life when really, like you were just there six years ago, which is really not that long ago. You were doing the same stuff. Now you're going to look at somebody who's doing that and judge them, help them, help them get to where you know they can be. So the whole point of this book is just, it's a, a detailed roadmap, which may work for some people, it may not, um, but a detailed roadmap of how I went from like a codependent, narcissistic, controlling, fearful disaster to an adult yeah. in a healthy relationship with actual actual intimacy. And yeah, it's like that really uh, spiritual yeah. connection that's just like you're, you're, it's, you're deep rooted. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's awesome. And when you get to that level, it's amazing. I think I'm there. I may, you know, I may find out when it comes to the end of my life, I never had anything real, but it's the realest thing I've ever been a part of. The only frame, the only frame of reference I have is that what I have with my wife now is real, true intimacy. Mm. Somebody may look at what we have and go, that's ah, not intimacy, but I don't care because I only, I only have my own frame of reference to go off of. Yeah. So as far as I know, this is the real deal. Yeah. And you stay in your lane. Yeah. I think a lot of times we're in so many other people's lane and we're not in our lane that makes us happy. Yeah. Because the perfect life is the life you're living. And when you're trying to live somebody else's life, that's not the perfect life. Yeah. 
because you're playing this game. So that's that's awesome, though. Yeah, no, this is good stuff. I'm so excited to have you, and uh, I know Seven Rock Life Nation really enjoy getting to hear you. Hope so. And, um, Hope you got something out of it. No, it's definitely Moosin. Moosin. <laughs> if you took one thing away from this, Brian Regan live, stupid in school. Listen to it. Uh, it's it's amazing. Two more things, and we'll we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, this is great stuff. What is you said something actually when we were recording for the content for Living Inspire? I don't want to be inspiring. You know, I want to like living to inspire. Yeah. Right. What does that mean to you? And and what what motivated you to commit to want to come and be part of the vision of what we're creating? Um, okay. So here's where we're going to get real right now. Yeah. It's no, it's no reflection on you, but anytime I hear of anybody doing something, I always assume they're just kind of like full of shit and winging it. Mm -hmm. And, and I knew that you felt that way. Of course. Yeah. I feel that way about everybody, including myself. So that's why I say it's no disrespect to you. It's just the way that I operate. And when I walked into the house that day and it was like, it wasn't an iPhone on a tripod. Not that that would have been fine if it was, but it was like I could tell you put a lot of thought and effort into this thing and you put mm-hmm. like resources, money, time. You were fully I don't care what anybody's doing. If they're committed, I respect it. Mm-hmm. If I can tell that they're committed and all in, just like the same way if I'm talking to somebody and their eyes light up, I tune into what they're about to say. I don't care if they're talking about chess, grooming their dog, cleaning the pool. If they're excited about it, now all of a sudden I'm excited about it. And I don't even know why. It's just because of their passion. So when I walked in that day, I saw that this was a real thing that you were doing and you were committed to it. And it just kind of like shifted the way that I saw it. And I was like, I'm not, this is not a talk that I'm giving. This is a, a real, I'm going to relay my experience. And that should be inspirational. Meaning, if, if I'm honest with you about where I've come from, what I've done, and where I am now, you should be able to relate to some part of that, if not all parts of that. And I'm going to ask people right in the in the very beginning to identify with my story and not compare because just because I did something a certain way, I'm going to – the details are like irrelevant. It's more about my motivation or my emotional state that I was in when I did that. And unless you are completely detached from your emotional <laughs> – from your emotional self – you should be able to see yourself in my story. And if you can see myself, if you can see myself, you can edit this, right? If you <laughs> No, we're keeping it all. Sorry. Keep it real. It's more real. If you can see yourself in my story and my struggle, then you can see yourself in my success, even if you're not there yet. Mm. That was hard to say, man. <laughs> That's a tongue twister, <laughs> yes. I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> yeah, and no, I, no. I think, but you said it just before, that when you hit when you're at this rock bottom and then you're up here and you're still connected to that yeah you can p- give the path to the like let me show you this road turn right here turn left there you know yeah you can use a gps but let me let me show you the way cuz i wrote everything down that's amazing that was the other thing you know, i wrote everything down for 10 years every important thought i ever had i so was so you were like, journaling and writing oh yeah. yeah wow i was like i don't want to lose this this stuff is too important isn't it wild though how writing on a piece of paper is energy and then when you read that, it's energy that goes back and forth. It's a, it's a frequency. Yeah. And, and there's I, definitely, to, to your point, there's definitely some things that I wrote down that I thought were like super deep and insightful. And I go back and read that. I'm like, who wrote this? A third grader? <laughs> you took time out of your day to write this? Newson. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Now we're, we're really excited. And, uh, you know, even I know you, you're going to, you have some great things in store. I know you have the book. So, guys, you know, Happy is the New Rich. That is book that is out. Go check it out. And then Go to Bed uh, Angry is going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. And then he also has a great podcast, Think Tank 
podcast and potentially coming on tour, you know, with us and, and other things that you're doing. Um, you At know, least Miami. As long as, as long as he does, you know, good and uh, crutches, which I, I know he will. As long as I don't get found out. Yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah. fraud. Yeah, <laughs> and a fake. No, he's he's a real deal, Holyfield. So, well, appreciate it. And I'm gonna ask the one last question. We we end every podcast with this question. So, you ready? This yes. is the podcast, Seven Rock Life Nation. I'm like, can't even speak. We are not editing this, right? So, here you go. You caught my disease. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you had a billboard for the whole world to see, what would your message be to the world? One word, one sentence. So you, if you had a billboard for the whole world to see, what would your message be to the world? Oh, my God. Um, one word, one sentence. So there's a friend of mine that I met in recovery used to say this thing to me all the time. And um, he used to say, be kind to yourself. But he would say it like at the end of a phone call or at the beginning of a phone call. And he'd ask, you, he'd ask me, are you being kind to yourself? And he died, and when he died, it became a little bit more ingrained on my my psyche, like always, no matter what, just be kind to yourself. It covers everything, it really does. And if you're doing that, you'll be kind to others because you'll, you know, the message is basically go easy on yourself and go easy on others and try and enjoy your life because you get, you know, as far as we know, you got one shot. As far as we know, no. What we believe is a totally different story. But as far as we know, no. You get one birth, one death, and you got to try to enjoy it. And the best way to do that is by just easing up on yourself. And be kind to yourself is uh, something that I, I think about multiple times throughout the day. Am I, am I living this out? That would be the billboard. Dude, I love that. I got chills with that. So be kind to yourself. Good stuff. Nice. Well, thank you so much for sharing. You're awesome, thank you. funny, for having me. and uh, make sure you go out there and go uh, enjoy your nuisance and um, or nuisance, whatever it is, <laughs> and have a great, great week, guys. Share this. Make sure you leave a review. Uh, be the hero for somebody in their life um, that this content can change your life. And uh, we're just so blessed to have you guys as an audience. Check out Tank, and uh, we'll attach all his info on the bottom. So, love you guys. Have a great week. See you guys soon. It's that yeah. Rock Life Nation. Peace. Yeah. Well, we remain two lovers, living happy ever after. Or are we just another chapter of a story with an ending? You come around every summer, and I provide the shelter. Oh, I love your pretty colors, cause it's such a good